When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Today, I am chatting with Kimberly Didrikson. Kimberly is the founder of Learning Motherhood, a consulting agency and online community platform that helps women returning to work after having a baby from feeling overwhelmed with motherhood and career to thriving and navigating the changes that occur. Kimberly spent 15 years growing her career at a Fortune 100 company and as a director, managed teams with portfolios of over 20 million in yearly sales, yet nothing prepared her for growing and birthing a child and returning to work. Determined to change how mothers are supported through this transition back to work, Kimberly created Learning Motherhood. Today's conversation covers many different topics with regards to returning back to work, and it includes some tips and tricks on ways to reduce anxiety when you decide you're returning back to work. We also talk about pumping at work and what your rights are and how to investigate this a little bit further and a lot more. So let's dive right in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey, Kimberly, how are you tonight? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you. It's funny, actually, this this podcast episode is coming at a, a, a great time because I was just talking about on my stories, which by the time this airs, I actually might be off Instagram, which is really strange to think about. But by the time this airs, I'll probably no longer be on there, but this was, you know, back when I was still on Instagram. And I was talking about how I was trying to find childcare. So I'm deleting my Instagram account and really want to go back to work more often than I'm going now. And so now I'm just working when my husband has occasional days off because we have no childcare. And it's really hard with our schedules because we work in the emergency department, like the hours are all over the place. And so daycare is not an option for us. And with four kids, with all the different schedules is kind of an impossible thing anyways. So I was looking at, you know, uh, just like talking to some people and they were like, oh yeah, you know, it'll be $30 an hour. And I'm like, what? Like, and you know, back when we had somebody, it was like $18 an hour for four kids. And so this is, I mean, and the pandemic, I'm sure we'll touch on that is just kind of made everything way worse when it comes to childcare costs. So I'm just really excited to talk about this subject about mothers going back to work and just supporting them and um, all the different statistics that encompass this because it's a really huge issue. I mean, it's always has been, but I feel like with the pandemic, it's actually been even worse. Yeah. I mean, what you're experiencing is something that so many uh, parents go through, right? They decide 
they have to go find childcare and it's a sticker shock every single time. I mean, going back to when I was a new mom and I went through this process alone, it felt like a sticker shock. Uh, and that was pre pandemic, but then you add Mm -hmm. in multiple kids to the scenario, which I know you have four, I have three and yeah, it is really challenging to find good childcare for multiple kids at a reasonable price. Uh, and it is an issue and, you know, for, uh, non-traditional work environments too, like you were saying, it becomes the price generally goes up because the hours are kind of off. Uh, So I can understand your frustration. There are so many ways to find it, but the commitment to look is probably the most challenging piece because it does require a lot of energy and time, which is really hard on parents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) It's like a job in and of itself, like trying to contact these people, setting up, you know, an interview and and things like that. It's very, very difficult. So can you tell us, Kimberly, what you used to do for a career and then what made you uh, launch Learning Motherhood? You're the founder and we've, we mentioned that over in the intro, but I'd love for you to just discuss like what made you create this company and how has it been going? Yeah, so I was pregnant with our first child. I had been in corporate America and always wanted to be in corporate America. That was kind of my end goal was, I know this sounds kind of crazy, but I wanted to wear a suit and work in a very large high-rise building for some reason early on in life. And yeah, I decided to go down this career path and ended up being with one organization for 15 years. Around the 13 year mark, we had our first child. I was a leader in the organization I worked for. It was a Fortune 100 company and I managed teams from 25 to 30 to high level sales executives that had multi-million dollar contracts. And that was actually my last position with that organization was in that role. And I had my first child and wow, I was shocked by what happened to me um, through the transition into becoming a mother and becoming a working parent. And what I will say there is I thought that I was just going to have this baby, put our baby on my hip and take him to daycare, drop him off, go kill it at work, and then come home to this happy family that we were creating. And everything was just going to be great because that's always what I'd strive for. That was a shock to my system. After we had our first son, I actually ended up going through postpartum depression, and I believe postpartum anxiety, even though I wasn't officially diagnosed, it was kind of before you really started having that diagnosis. So this was almost seven years ago, and it still kind of gets me because those emotions that a mother goes through when they're transitioning into, you know, their new identity as a mother, as a working parent, it can be very paralyzing. 
you don't know who you are in this new world. And then you're being asked to show up like you know who you are. And you're being asked to show up at the same level of caliber you were before having baby without any support, like any real strong parental leave, any of the things that really are essential in order to kind of hit the levels that are being asked of us in society. So how... (laughs) How was your parental leave? What did you, how many, how many months did you take off? So shockingly, I took off seven months. Oh, look at you. Yeah. No. And I'll say that that is because I made it my job essentially to figure out how to maximize that leave based on the factors that I was going through essentially. So I was you know, navigating postpartum depression and anxiety, which meant literally I couldn't drive further than a block around my house. I was paralyzed by the thought of driving to work. And so this was really because of this transition back to work. And yeah, I went through so many changes through that experience that it's interesting, you know, you fill out that six week kind of postpartum, how are you doing? And they ask you on that questionnaire, how are you feeling mentally? And I totally lied. I said I was great because somehow I thought that was, that somehow made, made me feel like a less of a mother, that I wasn't excelling at motherhood, which for being in a career that you were excelling at, and then you can't excel at this, which seemed like nature takes its course. And somehow this all kind of comes together. I really, really struggled with understanding that it's okay to have these feelings of postpartum depression and anxiety and know that it's normal. And so from that experience, and finally calling my doctor back and saying, No, you know what, I lied. I'm actually not doing well. I started working on understanding the laws in California and what that looked like in terms of accessibility to extending my parental leave and really understanding, you know, what I could do to make that transition better for me. And I'm lucky to live in a state that really does make it a priority here to take care of working parents. It shouldn't be about luck, though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So when did you leave your job? Like how far in after your first? Yeah. So I left my job after our second child. So I went back to work. Okay. I actually ended up, my leave ended, but I negotiated another three weeks after my leave of no pay to get to that seven months and um, went back to work in a new position. So while I was on leave, I interviewed for a new position within the organization. It was my dream job and I'm, I got it, which was amazing. Uh, and then I had our second child. So I had two kids that were under the age of two or just turned two. Their birthdays are two days apart. And while I was on leave, I had done such a better job of setting myself up for success in terms of returning back to work without mm-hmm. going through postpartum depression. And then they sold off our department um, within our mm-hmm. organization. They kept me. They were actually really excited to tell me they kept me. And you were like, 
Peace out. <laughs> yeah, well, they decided to expand my territory to almost like west of the Mississippi. So I'm located out in California. When I went on parental leave, I had just Southern California, which is where I live. And then they changed it to... <laughs> Basically, they told me I was going to have to do 90% travel for the first year. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's not possible. (laughs) Even with childcare, right? Like, what? I know. And this is a company that I've worked for, for at that time, it was going on 15 years. That is so crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you end up, did you have the idea for learning motherhood during this time or did you just quit and then just like do this later on? Like what was the time frame? So I ended, I had this idea after our first son, I actually have these emails to one person in particular where I'm actually sharing, like I'm struggling and kind of putting together this idea of what learning motherhood would be. Because when I looked to my left and the right, I couldn't find anyone going through this experience with me. And that was, that just made it so much more lonely. And I needed someone that was there going through it to understand the emotions that I was kind of navigating and the logistics. So after I advocated for a severance package with the organization I work for, they were not going to give me one but I knew the laws in California and advocated for it. And then uh, during the next year and a half, I started kind of really thinking through this idea and what I wanted it to be and then launched it after my third child was born in 2019. Awesome. So I know that I was looking at the website. You have a lot of free resources. You have the ability to support mothers as they enter back into the workforce. Can you just kind of explain what the company entails and like how they support how they support moms along the way? Yeah, we do this in a twofold approach by providing community resource support and education for individual mothers to have access to. And that is done through this community that I'm talking about where you can actually go right into an experience where you can get all the education resources and tools to help you through the transition back to work so that you can have a roadmap and kind of what I call like a suitcase of options of what works for your family. Cause no one, no scenario is one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Every family has a different dynamic. So we actually talk about childcare um, quite extensively in there. It's a we have a self guided course in there that goes through all the things that you need to know in the transition, and then our community brings in the humanization of the workplace. So we go through the things that are happening in your home while you're going through this transition, whether that's emotionally on a postpartum perspective to lactation support, nutrition support, your relationship. We really try to cover it in all. We talk about finances, how to navigate all the new things that come with having a new baby and kind of things that you never had to think about before, such as life insurance. And just there's so many of these amazing experts that come in because they believe 
they believe so much in what we're doing to help educate and support working parents and feel like there is a way to have a career while being a parent that both can exist together. So that is like our individual mom side. And then we also work with organizations uh, to create programs that strengthen company cultures and retain employees and attract strong talent so that they can keep women in the workplace so that they can champion working parents and the gender equity at a leadership level can actually be shown is the goal and the mission of what we're trying to do at Learning Motherhood. So I had seen this statistic on your website and it's pretty staggering. And I'm sure that some people listening might definitely believe this number definitely after the pandemic, but 42% of women have left the workforce that have children that are between the ages of zero and two in the past two years. Can you explain a little bit as to why why you think that is? The support was flexibility, meaning, okay, now we have this option that you can work from home, but there was no reasonable accommodations to support what a mother is going through in zero to two while being home with a child. So when mm-hmm. you look at that, ultimately, if you're a parent, you know, those stages are really difficult. It's like your eyes can't really leave them for many reasons, safety, all the things. So less understanding of kind of adjusting expectations during the pandemic, but actually leveling up by being available anytime because you're working from home is I think a big reason why along with the glaring piece of no child care. And we were just expected to take on that load. And honestly, without any sort of support to navigate that, it was just now you do both. And we both know that those are two different careers. Right. And, you know, that's an unrealistic expectation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's that much harder at the zero to two age, just because you can't like, there's nothing, they need your attention. They're not going to sit down and play with their blocks by themselves for hours on end. That's not how developmentally they are equipped at that point. No, not at all. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can tell my four-year-old to do that. He'll do it for like 20 minutes, but to maintain a career from home, yeah, not going to happen. So what are the the top three things that you think are needed to bring women back into the workforce following the pandemic? So the biggest thing is childcare. We need it to be affordable. And then we need to look at what the division in, of labor looks like in our homes. So, you know, for our partners and ourselves, what does that look like? Because ultimately what happens is unfortunately, generally speaking, that falls on the mother and when it's a two-income household and it becomes unrealistic to actually manage. Mm-hmm. And the third thing is workplaces need to humanize the experience of what working parents are going through and provide support with understanding 
of how to navigate supporting a working parent. And that looks like so many different things that they could do inside the organization. But first and foremost, acknowledging and understanding and supporting the transition is a huge piece of that. Uh, I'm going to add one more because it's obviously the most glaringly important one right behind childcare is uh, a national paid leave policy to really support all working parents having access to paid leave so that they do not have to return back to work in less than two weeks of having a child, which is insane. But the the reality is, is that is actually what's happening in this country right now. I mean, I get really angry when I think about this. <laughs> Me too. I know that you're trying to be a little professional over there, but <laughs> I kind of just want to like start screaming when I talk about this. I mean, it is so completely insane to think that a mother who just recently gave birth, however that was for her, to just hop back in and go back to what they were doing, well, in some cases, just right off the bat, or in some cases, two weeks later, I cannot even fathom what that looks like mentally. The incidence of depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, things like that would increase dramatically. And it's just unfathomable. And and it almost feels like, okay, why can't we get this type of support? It's like, are we getting forced back into the home where we're unable to work? Like, I feel like we're going backwards in time. Does that make sense? Like, we're not able to be moms, but also have a career and we're not being supported in that. And I mean, this also goes for the the partner in the relationship as well. I mean, for me, my husband was such a huge help with our first. We were able to, he was able to do his, he was in the middle of medical school and he was doing a like a rotation on research so he could do it from home. (laughs) So for six weeks, he was home with me, which is insane for your partner to be home for six weeks, you know, and he was doing some research, but like he was around. And when you have a new baby, they sleep a lot. So whenever the baby was sleeping, he was just doing some work. And I mean, my mental health with my first baby was very, it was in a very, very, bad position. I mean, I had a lot of issues going on with her and myself and most certainly looking back had postpartum depression and anxiety. I can't imagine what that would have looked like had I not had the support from my partner during that time if he was off at work every single day and I was by myself. So it's equally as important for you know your partner in the relationship to also have parental leave and not just the mother, you know? So I don't know. It it drives me bonkers though. <laughs> you know, I've been doing this work for a couple of years now. And honestly, you know, while I was, you know, unfortunately, one of the things that right now during this discussion of the national paid leave options that are up in the Build Back Better bill, one of the things that I think about is I had seven months and I was lucky. And I hear so many versions of this uh, in our work, 
where I had three months and I was lucky. Oh, I got two months and I was lucky to have that. And Mm -hmm. it just feels so unfortunate that every parent out there is, you know, for any amount of time, they feel like they're lucky. Lucky. Mm -hmm. And I really struggle with that. I, and that is why, while I, you know, was able to have the time I did, not everyone is lucky. And that shouldn't be for the luck of what state you live in or the luck of what company you work for. I mean, when you think about it, like I entered into um, my career at 21, I stayed with that company for 15 years and it was lucky (laughs) I ended up being in a scenario where I ended up in California. I mean, I didn't interview the company at 21 going, what is their policy on parental leave? It's just, it's incredibly unfortunate. And I hear you, Lindsay, I feel the same way. And that's why we kind of stay to our conversations less about maternity leave and more about parental leave. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important both sides. Yeah. And so, and I will say that's amazing. Your husband was able to do that. That was not our experience with our first, even though we had access to more leave, it just wasn't accepted in terms of the industry that my husband worked in. And that is the case around the country where there are organizations that offer more parental leave for uh, men and they struggle to actually take it because it has a damaging factor. So the more that men talk about taking parental leave, the more that it supports the whole entire cause of, you know, equalizing the gender equality for men and women in the workplace. And that's a real big issue that we have currently. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm always psyched when I see something on LinkedIn that shows, you know, a male talking about their experience on going on parental leave. So oh, I'm yeah. always cheering that on. Yeah, with our with our last two babies, my husband got zero. So <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's pretty typical. And I mean, thank goodness I with my third and fourth, of course, felt more comfortable, but I could have never done that had it been my first. Never. I would have been in a very dark place, you know. So what are some of the ways that moms can advocate for themselves when they're thinking about returning back to work? So the first thing is to kind of think about like how you want to return back to work. So what would be your ideal scenario? Would that be some sort of gradual return? Would you like that to be over a month of uh, that return? What would be your ideal? And then you work back from there. Okay, so if you have some sort of gradual return, I'm just using that as an ideal experience is when you're having that conversation with your employer, always talking about it with what's in it for them. Why is this a benefit for them for you to do a gradual return? And the answers to that question really have to do with this will get us in a position to understand our child care provider more so that we can be more present at work. This will allow us time to work our schedule and routine out so that it can be most beneficial for us to be present in our work environment. And here's why 
this schedule will work best based on the team I have and the support I have at the organization. So, you know, that's a very different conversation than saying, hey, I want this and I need you to give this to me. Unfortunately, while that sounds like a reasonable ask, (laughs) the way that is perceived on the other end is probably not going to get you that yes. Mm -hmm. So when you're thinking about like things that you want when you're returning to the workplace, and I would think of like COVID right now, you know, what do you want that to be if you are being asked to go into the office? These are specific conversations that you can translate what I just said into something related to you don't want to go into the office right now. And here are some ways that, you know, I can still provide the same level of expectations, even though I'm not there. Or nursing or breastfeeding or pumping and needing that time. You know, I always say that the best way to go about this is to be educated. So understand the laws in your state, understand the laws in just like a high level perspective, do some research so that you come into that conversation, really understanding exactly what you're entitled to, but how you phrase it in a way that's more collaborative than demanding will get you what you're looking for. And then even though, as you said, that, you know, you have every right to, you know, those things, especially if, if in your particular state, you're allowed to have X, Y, and Z, but the way that you phrase things always helps, right? (laughs) Especially if you're doing it in a collaborative way versus, you know, I need this and this and this, and that's the bottom line because this is what the law says, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think that's a huge piece. So you deserve it. Most importantly, you absolutely deserve it. The way we're set up in this country is not right. In any case, the way we approach it uh, will definitely define whether that's a yes to the accommodations you're looking for. And some of those accommodations, they have to be a yes, right? Because the laws say they have to be a yes. So knowing that in the back of your head uh, can be a real advantage when you're having those conversations. Knowledge to me is power. That's why we call ourselves learning motherhood. <laughs> yes, I love it. So Kimberly, is there anything you wanted to add to like the first half of this conversation before we dive into some questions from the community? Yeah, I think my biggest thing is there's a lot of heart that we talked about, but there's a lot of joy in having a career and having motherhood. I kind of think of it as the space in between that supports kind of the ability to go after your aspirations while also enjoying the time that you have with your children. I don't want these limitations that are out of our control to be the decider for for anyone if they have an aspiration, a career goal, or they want to go after some sort of job. There are ways to navigate that. And that is why we created Learning Motherhood is to show that there is a bridge. There is a bridge. It's not the conventional way, (laughs) but there is a bridge and we'll help you get there in a supportive way. Yeah. I really love that you said that because I am personally 
not the type of person who could ever be a strictly stay-at-home mom in the sense of the word that I have nothing else going on except for that my primary job is just to take care of the children. I have always been working at the hospital, even though over the course of four babies, I'm obviously working much less now, but I am still going in. And having that experience as an adult going into work and using the skills that I you know, went to so many years of schooling to be able to perform. And having that time with other adults is so sacred to me now. I thoroughly enjoy going to work. And I know that I am, you know, privileged to be able to say that just because I'm going in, you know, a few times a month, I have these 12 hour shifts a few times a month. So I have a different perspective than obviously someone who is going to work nine to five Monday through Friday, you know, and so I can say that I truly enjoy those 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 days I'm going in. I love it. You know, that might change if I was, you know, full time. I might say, you know, it's it's not as enjoyable or what have you, but I have found that I need to have that sense of accomplishment in my career in order to feel fulfilled. I think being a stay-at-home mom is quite literally the hardest job on the planet. I really, it's thankless. You know, you're doing all of these things all day long and there's no one there to be like, hey, Linz, like, thank you so much for making me dinner. It was delicious. We, I loved it so much. And thank you for folding all my laundry and putting it all away. And, you know, all of these things you do all day long, no one's there to say, hey, thanks, you know, and I think that's what I've found so difficult about motherhood. And so having that job outside the home, I know for many is something that they need in order to, you know, feel fulfilled in their life. And there's no right or wrong answer to any of it. And everybody's different. And somebody who stays at home will be able to do that seamlessly and absolutely love it and not need to work outside the home. But then there's other people that need a little bit of both in order to feel fulfilled in their life. But I love that you brought that up, that it can be joyful as well, you know, and it doesn't have to be super stressful. Yeah, absolutely. And Lindsay, I always say it's much easier to manage adults than to manage toddlers. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Like, are you kidding? And I mean, in, in some cases, I mean, certainly not where I work, but in some cases you will get people that are grateful. (laughs) So, but you rarely you know, have any of that at home when you're, when you have little kids, you know, as they get older, things will change. Like my eight year old will always say thank you for dinner, but the little ones don't eat. They sometimes like push it over and won't even look at it. And they're like, this is gross, you know? And so (laughs) it's just really hard. It's really hard. Yeah. So anyways, okay. So let's dive into some of these questions from some moms in my community. So this is really tough. So especially when you're leaving your baby for the first time, like if you're a first time mom, this can be so hard. Do you have any tips to help relieve anxiety when you're leaving your baby home with somebody new for the first time? Like this is your first week back to work and 
you know, how am I managing my anxiety during that time? What can I do? Yeah, so I would practice weeks in advance prior to returning to work with your child care provider and just kind of work on that over a month period of time if you can. So that can look like it starts with one or two days a week for a half day. And uh, then you just slowly increase it up until the day that you actually leave for work. And during that time that you're making that transition, kind of look at it as the things that will keep your mind occupied. And it's really hard. I coming from the same exact place as a new mom, I went right to this scenario. It was Mm -hmm. very challenging. So the best thing I can say is whatever can distract you, book some appointments that really need to be accomplished before you go back to work. Uh, and that'll be a good distractor in that time frame. The other thing is, is to remind yourself to know that you are giving your baby an incredible experience in developing a relationship with another person while exposing them to new experiences. So they're getting like just a different style of caregiving while you're in, while you're away. And that is so valuable. You know, you want them to have relationships with others. Uh, I would say one of the benefits of this is the ability to see your baby thrive through other scenarios that maybe you wouldn't have had the opportunity to be exposed to. And watching those relationships flourish are not an indication that somehow yours is less than it's just different. And that is really amazing. I know when I was able to switch my mindset to that, I really championed on that relationship with our caregiver. That person became part of our family or our childcare provider for preschool. We just had like a new level of connection when I could kind of look at that differently those would be probably, you know, the top things I would say as you're kind of going through it. It's not easy, but if you give yourself the time and space, the one other thing I would say is it's okay to feel the feelings. It's like, okay to feel it all. And, you know, let yourself have the opportunity to do that, whether it's in the car on the way to work or on the way back, and you take that extra five minutes to feel it. Holding it in is certainly not going to be the benefit to you. By doing this strategy, it should help kind of give you the opportunity to feel it. So I really like that perspective with, you know, having your your child having that experience with another caregiver. I think that's so important for your child to be able to build relationships with others. And, you know, I'll add to that as well, that it always helped me to leave, don't be afraid to leave this like really intense letter of like everything that you wish to happen throughout the day, you know, because that might help you, like at least it would help me to have everything down on paper and just have it on the table. So like, okay, you know, from this time to this time, it's playtime, it's tummy time. And then 
a bottle at this time and then nap is this time. And then so to have it all written down and out of your headspace sometimes helps to kind of lift that anxiety a little bit. Okay, well, that caretaker knows exactly what I typically do with my baby on a typical day. And then don't be afraid to like ask for them to send you updates, you know, whether that's a quick text, okay, they just drank all their milk or they've been playing really well, they just rolled over or, you know, whatever the update might be. And it could be a picture or whatever. And while you're at work, there's truly nothing better than getting a little update on on what's happening, you know, at home. So I'll just add that in there just because I feel like that helps as well. Yeah. Lindsay, I had a three-page document. <laughs> Was it typed out, single-spaced? I can just imagine. Yes. <laughs> I absolutely did. And I've shared it with other moms. So if anyone needs it, feel free to DM me. Oh my gosh, you. you're hysterical. I love it. And I actually, even with family, so this actually comes up with family members too, where they're like, please just leave, just go, you know, enjoy yourself. And all you can think about is all the things that are going to go wrong and you're not going to be there. So the way I always preface that is, hey, you know, this makes me be able to enjoy my time away. So, you know, whether you're excited to have it or not, supporting our family, this helps me. And so it's not a dig on any sort of um, methods of childcare you have practiced in the past. It's really just about what makes me feel secure to be able to leave. It has nothing to do with you. And that was always a huge win whenever I would leave our child with like a family member or a friend and they'd look at me like, I cannot believe you're handing me a three page document. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? It makes you feel so much better and that's what matters. Yeah, exactly. So this was a a question that came up the absolute most throughout the Q and a is Mom guilt. I'm, I feel so guilty leaving my child every day. I feel so guilty. There's so much mom guilt. How do I manage the mom guilt? So do you have anything to say as far as this subject goes? Because it's a tough one and there are so many moms out there that really struggle with this. Yeah. So first of all, I want to validate the fact that you have mom guilt is there's so many things that are out of your control. So a lot of guilt comes from what we think we should be doing in motherhood, like what you should be doing. The importance of reframing that voice in our heads takes practice, but instead Mm -hmm. I should be at home with my kids. The guilt could be reframed as kind of what we were just talking about. I get to give my kids the gift of new experiences with different people, all while showing them that women do have a place in the workplace. And I get to, you know, be a model for my aspirations. And they see me do that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when we have little kids, like you were saying earlier, they can't really talk to us yet. But when they start to, and they say something about our career or what we're doing, it is the most amazing thing to hear. For me personally, as a mother, to hear them say, you know, something about what I'm doing, it just feels like, wow, they are watching and they're seeing something that's pretty amazing that's happening. 
I would also like to add that there's this professor of sociology in from Washington University University. Her name's Caitlin Collins. Sorry, Washington University in St. Louis, just to clarify. And she did this study. And Lindsay, I know you kind of love all areas of the world and kind of like travel. So I thought this would be interesting for the community. So she looked at four wealthy Western nations. So Sweden, Germany, Italy, and the U.S. And found that feeling guilty is considered part of being a good mother in each of these countries. However, the U.S. mothers feel guiltier, like a lot guiltier. And the Hmm. reason why is social policies not only lead to greater guilt in America, but they depend on it. She believes that mom guilt takes on a social role that keeps women from questioning their lack of support. So hmm. I need to do all the things at home because that is that guilt coming in like, oh, I should be doing that because I'm the mom or I'm, you know, the partner that has more time at home. Yeah. So I just thought that was really interesting and just a really cool study, of especially considering the countries that she mentioned. So interesting. Oh, gosh. I mean, it's... <laughs> I mean, there's so many great things about living in this country, but at the, you know, at the same hand, I'm like, I, I truly don't understand so many different social aspects of it. it. It literally makes absolutely no sense. But I mean, if you think about it, that it makes sense, right? That we would feel guiltier and just like the setup of it. I mean, ugh, wow. Anyways. Okay. So Let's see. Okay. Let's talk about balancing everything. I used to get, so I'm going to just preface this question too with like a little story time. I used to get this question all, well, I mean, I I still get this question all of the time, you know, because, well, mainly because Instagram makes you look like you're living this like very well balanced life. You're a great mom. You're have this career. You're doing this stuff as an, you know, influencer or whatever. And you've got all these things going on. And I quite literally always have a, a million things going on. That's just my personality. And that's me as an Enneagram eight. I have a million different things happening all at once. And I kind of like thrive with that. I'm not somebody that gets like anxious with all of that. Like I thrive on having a million things going on. So I can honestly say that I was never able to balance everything. This is a huge piece as to why I'm choosing to leave social media altogether. I really just... If, you know, things will suffer. You know, you you might think you're balancing everything, but <laughs> you're really not, type of thing. And so, you know, having this Instagram account and feeling like I'm the type of person that feels like they have to like respond to everybody's messages all of the time, and then keeping up, and and it, it is just a lot for me. And given like who I am, I I know that my personality just cannot continue on the way that it's continuing with social media and many other reasons for me leaving. But all that to say, I think there's no balancing everything as like, you know, you can't be a hundred percent 
with everything. I think if you think that you're just setting yourself up for failure, you know, and I think just trying your best is probably the the better thing to shoot for. I used to have help. I used to have somebody who would help me with the kids. I used to have somebody that cleaned our house. We, you know, had maybe even family coming to help Marvin, but we have literally none of that now. I feel like I'm running on empty every single day and doing every single thing all by myself. Of course, you know, with the help of my husband whenever he is home, but it is it's very difficult. So I don't want anybody to feel like they're the only ones that can't balance everything. This is like a continuous thing for every everybody. I feel like it's probably listening. But what do you think? How do you balance everything? Like how do you get a dinner on the table that's healthy and and do all the routines and work and and still maintain relationships and all of that? Yeah, so what you just said, I 100% agree on. So I actually believe strongly in the fact that balancing is a myth. And it's unfortunate that it's kind of out there as an expectation. So, you know, I get this question often, too. And, you know, the word balance is some somehow that it's feasible to balance work, family, and your own self needs. Mm -hmm. And it's an impossible task to meet. And I think we have to like reshape that conversation. So um, for me, I really, you know, kind of strive for work life integration. So that means like priorities change monthly, weekly, and sometimes like daily, you know, and I think this wraps in some of our guilt that we feel too. Like, whoa, we didn't get like a good balance. We didn't spend X amount of hours with the kids mm-hmm. and X amount of hours doing X, Y, Z that needed to get done at work. And then we didn't have that healthy meal on on the table. Like, You can't do all three of those things in one day without some sort of help, to your point, how you were saying earlier. So you know, if you can reframe your thought process on this and look at it as more, you know, my priority today is work and I'm going to lean into work today and we're going to order takeout or it's going to look very different and maybe not necessarily the most healthy meal for the kids that day. You know, the routine of life can be very demanding. So with that said, there are some like tried and true methods that work well, but I just want to preface it by that first and foremost, just to validate your story. So the other thing I would say that's been really uh, worked well is calendar sharing with your partner is key and essential. So, you know, divvying up the responsibilities, you're not superwoman, And we also get sold this like, wow, you're such a super mom mm-hmm. or you know, it's, it's these things that lead us into these expectations. And, you know, the other thing is your partner's not a mind reader. So that means communication is key to help evening up, you know, what are the responsibilities that can be divvied up in your household. And that means like, for instance, for you, Lindsay, like you were saying, when your husband's home, he's not there all the time. So what are the things that really can he can support you because that scenario is real. Like that happens across America right now, especially in healthcare. Right. So 
kind of reevaluating where that lo- where that is taken and then make sure that when you hand a task over you hand the entire task over so it's you're not like okay you can go research the child care option but then you're still doing half of that you've got to like hand it fully over and then i also want to kind of talk about solo parenting because this is also very real and I had it in my childhood too. And the support around you is so crucial. So asking for help is never a sign of weakness. So, you know, what I'm saying here are there's extenuating circumstances that will always be there, whether you're Mm -hmm. a dual income household, you're a one income household, um, your solo parenting, whatever, those circumstances are always going to be there, no matter the scenario. So ask for that help. And another thing that I'm sure you see on social media all the time is this idea of meal planning, which is like an ideal scenario, but not necessarily always achievable. So, you know, kind of look at that and say, what am I willing to actually put on my plate? And what am I not? And just be okay with that. Uh, I know that obviously this, there's some other factors that come in in here, right? Like in terms of finances, and that's where you move things around. What's at the top of, you know, what you, what you would outsource versus what you would keep in house. And what does that look like? And how does that impact you? So ultimately, I'm not saying that there's such thing as balancing. It's just priorities and what that looks like in your household and asking for help. And, uh, you know, knowing your partner is just as capable of doing a lot of what's in your household and supporting you through that. Yeah. So I was like jotting down as you were going through because you were nailing some points. So I also wanted to add a few things onto your points. So the calendar sharing thing is huge. And what we've started doing is we have this big calendar. It's called the um, family teams calendar. I don't know. You may have heard of it, but it's just basically this gigantic calendar that you write on and it has, you know, all kinds of other things on there if you had time to fill it out. But it's actually kind of fun to do every Sunday as a family. So it'll say like things that you're grateful for this week, things that you wanted to pray for this week, whether that's like uh, I have a test this week. You know, one of my kids has a test this week, whatever it might be. And we sit down every Sunday and we go through the calendar. Okay, Monday, what do you have on your schedule? What do you have on your schedule? What do we have for the kids? What's going on? And as as your kids get older and you have them in extracurriculars, this is this is actually just you can't manage life without it. Like it is actually impossible. So you have to sit down. You have to discuss. Or else there's going to be fights. There just is in your relationship if you're not discussing all the different things that need to happen on a daily basis. Because like as far as for us, like with four kids, it's like will make my head spin sometimes. So we'll sit down. We do every single day. And in some cases, we'll be like, okay, on this day, we have X, Y, and Z happening. Okay, I'm going to put an L next to that because I'm doing that. And we'll put an R next to this because you're doing that. And we've already pre-discussed who's doing what throughout the week. So there's no like, well, I thought you were doing it. Why aren't you? And there's no like small fights that don't need to happen because you've already had the discussion of who's going to be doing doing what task. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing was, oh, the meal planning that you were talking about. First of all, I cannot 
stand meal planning. I have tried to meal plan for freaking years. Okay. I fail. I have failed so many times I've lost count and I don't know what my problem is, but I just suck so bad at it. I will do it for like a week or two and I'll be like, oh, I really got this this time. And then I just, I crumble. I don't know what the hell happens. And then I end up at the grocery store like four times in one week because I can't get my shit together and I can't get all the ingredients I need for one meal. It is, honestly, I don't, I'm so incredibly bad at it. If I could hire anybody in my life, it wouldn't be a housekeeper. It wouldn't be someone to take care of my kids. It would be literally be somebody that could like tell me what I need to make for dinner and just have those ingredients for me. (laughs) It is like so painful inside my head. I don't know why. But what my friend does that I have found helpful that I will maybe help for helpful for someone listening is that she just has the same meal every single day of the week, every week. So like every Monday, spaghetti and meatballs, every Tuesday, taco Tuesday, every Wednesday that, so there's no meal planning. You just have the same stuff every week. Everybody knows what to expect. Friday's pizza night. Thursday could be a rotation of like whatever the kids might want. So like you know, one Thursday, Johnny wants, you know, whatever it is. And then the next week, Emily picks the next week. So that could be like a rotational night and and just like have the same thing scheduled for each day of the week. And then you don't have to think about it. And then the last thing I wanted to add to that, so much to add to that, is that having, oh gosh, okay, you had mentioned this. And so I was like, yes, There have been countless amounts of times where I just assume that my husband can read my mind, like he's a mind reader. And we all know that that's like not one of their strong suits (laughs) in general. Okay. So like to expect that is like really way too much, but just have these open and honest conversations with each other. I know that that might sound like, oh, of course. Well, no, no, duh. But here's the thing. Like if you're, you get up for, for breakfast, it's chaos. You guys are making lunches, you're making breakfast, you're, you know, like doing all the things for the kids, getting them ready for school. It's a nightmare. And in your head, you're thinking, well, I, I, he's going to make the coffee, right? Like he's just going to, he's going to make the, why wouldn't he? Oh my gosh. He's still not making the coffee. Like, can you, like, and it's like, you just have to say like, Hey, Hey, are you going to make the coffee or am I going to like, and it's almost like you build yourself up. And then by the time it comes to like bring the kids to school and nobody has coffee or whatever the task might be. And it's just because you didn't say anything because you're just like, well, I know they're going to, they're going to make it. They make it every morning. Why wouldn't they make it this morning? And you know, there's like, they can't read your mind, you know? And so I can't tell you how many times like we had gotten into like just these small little arguments that we could have just been like straight up with each other and been like, Hey, like this still needs to happen or, you know, whatever the task might be. Just making sure that you always have that open, honest conversation going with your partner is going to really save you lots of time, energy, and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'm nodding my head on the other end because I actually had on my notes that last piece of the staples. That's actually what we do also is stapled meals. And At first, I was really hesitant because I was like, oh, that's pizza every Friday night or, you know, whatever it is. And then I realized, why am I trying to make this more complicated than it needs to be? Who cares? Mm -hmm. I don't care. They certainly don't care. 
I need to let this go. This is not, you know, worth my time. And I also want to mention a really great book. We actually just got Fair Play certified, but it's a book called Fair Play by Eve Rodsky. I'm holding it up, even though you can't see it, Lindsay. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason. (laughs) See? Yeah. (laughs) It really talks about this and how to communicate with your partner and go through some of the things that you were just talking about. And it makes the invisible load actually visible. So it's a really good kind of start to this, you know, in all your free time of being a working parent. (laughs) Anyway, I wanted to mention that as another tool to have, uh, should you want to kind of dive really into it. Yeah. I love that. Well, I mean, this is another reason for me to be leaving social media. I just can't wait to get back to doing things I used to like to do. Instead of scrolling for a half hour, I could read, you know, like these are the types of things. Yeah. Okay. So we're not going to have time for all these questions, obviously. I do want to get to two of them that I feel like are really important. The first one is what actions and rights do you have as a pumping mom? This is always a huge topic. Some are like, my workforce doesn't allow me at all to pump. And obviously, I know this could vary state by state. But as a general whole, what do you have to say to that? Yeah. So I, again, highly recommend that you do your research on this. I don't know what you have for show notes, but I can share, you know, this information in terms of a link. Yes. Yes. That everyone can have access to. Mm -hmm. But so on a federal perspective, and of course I'm not an attorney, but this is a resource that you can read on your own, but it basically says, so it's underneath the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. And basically, it requires employers to provide reasonable break time for employee to express breast milk for her nursing child for one year after child's birth, each time such employee has need to express the milk. So whenever Mm. you need to pump, you should have the ability to go do that. Mm -hmm. Employers are also required to provide a place other than a bathroom. So the bathroom cannot be the place that is shielded from view and free from intrusion from coworkers and the public, which may be used by an employee to express breast milk. So that's kind of like the high level there. And then it talks about time and location of the break. So, you know, it really does say that you need to have the option and time for nursing or breastfeeding or pumping, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) One of the three. (laughs) And it has to be a dedicated space. So if for any reason that space is temporarily converted uh, for a nursing mother, whenever that nursing mother needs that space, they have to give that space to the nursing mother. So there's quite a lot of details, as you can imagine, in the law. But, you know, there most recently, there was uh, a new thing that came through Congress that was approved, which is the Pump for Nursing Mothers Act, Mm -hmm. uh, which will strengthen this law that currently is in place, because there are some loopholes based on the size of your 
organization. So 50 employees or less, there are some things specifically related to being paid for breaks to pump. And this new law uh, act is supposed to close some of those loopholes. But I'll share the link so you can really look into it. Uh, California is one of the most progressive for things like this. And there are so many additional advantages that you have, like, for instance, the location of the room that you're pumping has to be within a certain uh, distance from your actual office. Like you Mm. can't be 20 minutes away uh, across campus, Mm -hmm. um, for instance, for a professor or something like that. So there are some things in addition, and that includes like what is actually in that pumping room? What does it provide? So, but I encourage you to read up on it for anyone listening, because these are really, these are areas where maybe your HR department isn't as well versed, unfortunately. And they're just kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, and quite literally, some of these people that are giving you this feedback that you're not allowed to pump or you can only pump for five minutes or what have you, they have actually no idea what the law might be in some cases. And so you could say, well, I, you know, looked into this and actually this is what I found and I do have this right. And I'd love to talk to, you know, whoever is in charge of this because I have every right to this and I'd love to talk about, you know, talk about it some more. And, you know, the more that you know, like you said, knowledge is power. So before you go back to work, if you are breastfeeding and you want to be pumping, you know, just look into what your state offers and uh, what you have for protection and even just jot it down, you know, and keep it with you and say, I did all my research on this. I am allowed to do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, and, and if there's an issue, just ask to speak to, you know, the person that's higher up. In terms of, you know, when you have that conversation with your employer, you can almost go with an assumption like, oh, I want to block off the calendar time and the room on our company calendar, what room is being used? And if they don't have the answers for it, that that's where you start to see the red flags mm-hmm. come. And that's why it's also, you know, it's completely normal to consult an attorney just to understand so that you can feel like you're in a better position to have these conversations. I highly recommend like all of these things to help support you because, you know, there is just some breaks in terms of HR, not all HR, but there are some breaks in terms of HR knowledge on some of these laws. And if you're the first one pumping, which we've also experienced um, in our learning motherhood community, you're really educating them, unfortunately. Yeah. Yep. Okay, let's end with, I'm just going to ask you two questions that I ask everyone I interview, and they don't have to be uh, with regards to what we've talked about today. They can be about anything. So the first question is, if you could give mothers one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh my gosh, one. (laughs) I know. Sorry. Got to narrow it down. (laughs) It's okay to question everything. I think that I thought I was a bad mom for questioning my entire, you know, new set of responsibilities and understanding like what that meant for me. 
And looking back, I really came down hard on myself Mm -hmm. because of that. I thought I wasn't a good mom because of all the things that were so new to me. And I also was trying to be so nice about it and not actually, you know, really talk about the things that I needed support or ask the question. And what I say now is ask the question. If you don't know, it's okay to ask. That does not make you a bad mother. That makes you a more informed mother. So I guess that's what I would say. Yes. Yes. I love that. Okay. So the second question is if you could make one meal for your family, that's rather quick and easy that everybody would most likely eat, what would it be? I do a vegetable medley, which includes shockingly broccoli. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I say that because like, what kid likes broccoli? <laughs> so it's a, a vegetable medley with chopped up chicken sausages. And I just throw it on a pan and put it in the oven for 35 minutes with oregano, garlic salt, garlic, and some avocado oil. And everyone eats it. And it's just, you don't have any, do you have like a, like... A carbon, like, well, I guess veggies have carbs, but like a rice over rice or anything, or do you just do the sausage and the veggies? Just the sausages and the veggie. Really? And they love it. Yeah. They eat it all up. Yeah. And I think, I, I think maybe the juices from the sausage really help. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Because I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, yeah, my oldest would definitely eat that. My middle daughter, she would definitely eat that because she loves veggies. She's not really a, won't really eat me, but she might eat that. And then my son though, I feel like he'd be picking all the veggies out. He even like, he even gets like all upset about like, you know how the broccoli, like sometimes like the little the head of the broccoli, the little green parts will kind of come off and it'll be on like the sausage. He he would eat the sausage, but if it had a piece of broccoli on it, like he would like just throw it across the room. (laughs) (laughs) It's like so painful. I'm like, I don't understand. He's definitely one of those kids that just benefits from like having everything separate in his dish. You know what I mean? Like nothing can touch each other because then it's like contaminated. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, that's awesome for you. Yeah. Oh, super, (laughs) super awesome. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So this was awesome, Kimberly. I'm really glad that we could shed light on this subject because I feel like in the past two years has become definitely just one of those things that people are talking about more and more considering, you know, all the... (laughs) all the drama right now with the parental leave, parental paid leave, and just with the pandemic shedding light on, you know, a lot of mothers having to leave their jobs in order to care for their children and things like that. So this was a really great topic. And I really appreciate you taking time out of your night to chat with me. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I love your podcast. I have been an avid follower since having my second child. So I don't know five years now. So this has been a pleasure to to chat with you as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Okay. You too. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram.
Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.